On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, we head to Phoenix Brewing in Ohio to talk with Carmen McFarlane about how the brewery has come to rely on its five-barrel brew house during COVID-19 and how a Crowler Club has brought new people to their door. And then, if you're a small brewery and just starting to think about mobile canning, Andrew Ferguson of Cody Manufacturing is here to share some steps to ensure you're ready. This is John Hall, and welcome to the BYO Nano Podcast. Episode 7, and depending on where you are in the country, it seems you're either opening up or closing back down again in some capacity. COVID-19 continues to cause havoc for small breweries, but thankfully, owners soldier on. There's no shortage to the creative solutions breweries are implementing to keep the lights on and employees paid and safe. What many had hoped would be a temporary disruption now seems to be with us for the foreseeable future. At least the murder hornets never took over, right? In the states where where the weather cooperates and at breweries where space allows, there are tap rooms that have reopened for outdoor imbibing. This is helping give a quick shot in the arm of cash for breweries that desperately need it. And we know that this may be fleeting in the short term and certainly when the seasons change. So brewers are now trying to look towards the fourth quarter and into 2021 to figure out what comes next. Today on the show, I'll talk with the brewery that is doing its best to adapt through a crowler club program and is securing a dedicated revenue stream through it. And then we'll help you figure out if mobile canning is an option that you should explore if you haven't yet. And we'll get into all of it in a minute. But first, I'm happy to tell you that we're sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about about their 1 to 10 barrel brewhouse systems and cellaring equipment. And you might have guessed this was going to happen. Join us on November 6th and 7th for NanoCon Online. COVID might keep us from being in San Diego, but our new interactive online format will feature the opportunity to get questions answered from craft brewing experts in real time and learn from each other about what is working and what isn't. You'll also gain full access to video recordings of our 30-plus seminars and roundtable discussions on both the business and brewing side of running a small-scale brewery. With so many fundamental changes this year, it's more important than ever to invest in a better understanding the new brewing business landscape and how to best rebuild or launch your small brewery. Don't miss learning from craft brewing industry experts without even leaving your home or brewery with live sessions online covering sales and marketing, brewing operations, business operations, and startups. Plus, when you register now, you'll save $100 and pay just $199. For full event details, check out nanocon.beer. The Phoenix Brewing Company is located in Mansfield, Ohio, inside of an old funeral home and mortuary. It opened up in 2014 with a five-barrel system and would later add a 20-barrel system to the mix. When COVID hit, the brewery had to scramble to figure out how to deal with not only its loss of distribution business, but also the loss of its taproom business. In this interview, recorded in mid-July, Carmen McFarlane talks about how the brewery has adapted and how a regular crowler program has helped them keep moving forward. 
She spoke to me from her home in Ohio. What have the last few months been like for your brewery? Um, it's kind of like been uh, a roller coaster. Um, we sat when the announcement was first made uh, by Governor DeWine that they were closing uh, bars and restaurants down on March 15th. Um, at, the end, at the end of business that day, we were all kind of in there and there was a whole crowd of people. And it was absolutely silent. It was one of the most surreal kind of feelings and, you know, because it was kind of like, okay, so, you know, our first big money making event of the year is St. Patrick's Day and that just got taken away. Right. Um, so it was a matter of taking a few days. We were typically closed on Mondays. Um, we took a couple of days to decide, you know, what path we were going to take and how we needed to pivot our business model. Our model at the time um, was about 50% taproom and 50% distribution mm-hmm. uh, and keg sales um, and the occasional 22-ounce bomber bottle. But when you lose, you know, both of those things at the same time, you really do have to, to have a plan in place before, you know, you can just open your doors back up. The website underwent several changes to allow people to order beverages um, on the website. Uh, but we didn't do it as a typical, you can just purchase this online. We did it as, as a reservation system. Um, and we oh, called each person back, talked to them, made sure they understood what they were ordering because we still had a lot of people that wanted to order one pint of beer. Um, <laughs> which, I mean, now I, I can understand that, but we didn't have the, we didn't have the packaging capacities for that. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of a neat, it was, I won't, I'm not going to say neat, uh, because it was, it was a different, it was, it was a neat, tra- it was kind of a neat transition. Um, although it wasn't one that we would have ever wanted to have to go through again, but it did force us to change, you know, part of our business model today. So you. You have two different brew houses. You have the 20-barrel and you have the 5-barrel. And since we're talking yeah. about the the nano side of things, what have you what were you using the 5-barrel for originally and has the focus for that facility changed during COVID? Um it it has changed a couple of times. Uh so the 5-barrel brew house typically is um our specialty beers, our seasonals, um Uh, If we're doing a kettle sour, you know, we're souring in that five barrel system as opposed to the 20 barrel system. You know, if we're doing a test batch of something, it's going to be in that five barrel system. We have um, 35 uh, barrels of fermentation space um, in with that system just for the five barrel. So, I mean, we have typically there's six different types of beer running through on um, that, that system. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things that we wound up doing was when we realized that, you know, we weren't going to be opening up in two weeks and that was going to be kind of, that was pretty apparent from the very beginning that it wasn't going to be just like a one or two week thing. We weren't going to be opening back up in April. We were going to be taking some time. It was going to be taking Ohio some time to, to truly reopen. Uh, we began doing some of our flagship beers on that system as opposed to our 20 barrel system. Really? Um, we had to cut back. We had to cut a few beer styles out. Uh, because you know, if you're losing your tap room and your distribution, your your demand for beers is is much, considerably much lower. Um, one of the things that really helped us though was having what's called a crowler machine, mm-hmm. and the crowler machine that we have cans up 32 ounces of you know any style of beer minus minus you know a beer that's on nitro sure uh, for <laughs> offsite consumption. So we really began utilizing, I mean, we had used it before 
Um, we purchased it about two years ago. It was great for to-go beers because they last a lot longer than than uh, the growler or the howlers. And it was something where people felt more comfortable taking it places or traveling with it as opposed to having to worry about the bulky glass container to go to mom or dad's house. Right. Didn't have to worry about washing it. So it, it had been a, a nice part of our, our business model, but we really began relying on that with the five barrel system, putting in some of our specialty beers, putting in some of the, the beers that we, you know, we were hoping to move out the door um, as fast as possible because, you know, we just released a, a, a double IPA, um, we had just had our milkshake IPA come out, you know, it's not like a stout where, you know, it can survive a month. You don't want that flavor profile to change. Yeah. So, I mean, we, it worked out very well for us to, to have that crowler machine in place and it did handle the majority of our specialty beers. But, but previously, I guess you were just sort of filling on demand if somebody wanted a crowler. It was, it was filling on demand. Yeah. Um, and I would say public response to to the whole the whole system change of ordering online and or I should say reserving online and coming in to get crawlers it was it was pretty phenomenal we didn't know you know what people were going to do but we were very lucky and very blessed to have you know the kind of support that we did during the complete shutdown so how much retooling did you have to do or how much rethinking did you have to do when you started making some of the flagships again on the smaller system? Because, I mean, usually we think about scaling up, but not necessarily scaling down. Uh, well, I mean, we start, when we first opened, we started with the five-barrel system. So all of our So it has were, miles were, on it, yeah. Yeah, so it, it has some miles on it. I mean, that was, when we first opened, we had two fermenters, uh, two bright tanks, and the five-barrel brew house. So, I mean, we began adding as we began... Um, having you know increased sales and and we you know we did we've done a very kind of you know sustainable model of we didn't want to take on a ton of debt the first two years that we opened we really wanted to kind of of pace ourselves with um making sure that you know our community which is smaller you know could support our brewery until we could get into any kind of regional distribution and it was really overwhelming because they, they did. They loved it. I mean, yeah. people loved coming down to the brewery and grabbing a pint of something that was made right there in the basement. Um, has there... And I say basement, but our, our brew house, our five-year-old brew house is housed in the, the lower levels of of the building. The subterranean levels? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so basement's <laughs> was... fine. Yeah, it's, you know. Uh... It, makes for great, it great, makes for a great tour when people are allowed to come in and tour. Um, has there been... I don't know, a freedom in returning to smaller brewing? Is there a, I don't know, fond memories coming back up or a new creative spark that's that's come with um, transitioning back do, to the smaller system? We do pretty well with, with, we have a production schedule that we try to keep to for both systems. Um, and I think what was really difficult was having to cut some of those specialty beers out that we know people love, mm -hmm. that, we, that we love ourselves and having to uh, change a little bit. Um, and we're still working on trying to fit some of those beers back in, but we have a production meeting later this week that, that will probably just be cutting a few beers, um, completely from the 2020 line just to, until we can get our bearings back and get everything back into a regular production. Yeah, We have, um, we had several fun beers planned that we wanted to try. We had left open spaces on our production schedule for 2020 so that we could do some, 
you know, collaborations and do some different things. And we're finally getting back into a place now that we've been open for, you know, a little over a month and a half where we're able to shift some of those flagships back over the other, the other brewery and begin kind of playing around again on the, on that smaller system. One of the things that you've done in the last couple of months, or I guess even even longer, but it, it, it sort of has a, I guess, renewed focus, is your Crowler Club. Yes. Our, our Crowler Club is a membership that people purchase, um, and they can purchase it in three months, six months, or 12-month increments. They make great gifts, uh, but people come in once a month, and they can, they can redeem their membership for, for one um, Crowler uh, for that 30-day period. When we first purchased our Crowler um, system, that was one of the things that we had worked with Ohio Department of Liquor, making sure that this was something that we were able to do and promoted it uh, right before the holidays, right around the holidays. And people loved it because it was a great way to say, hey, you know, here's a here's an option for beer for you. Here is, you know, something where this is a gift that you have for the next three, six or 12 months um, with the Crowler with the Crowler Club, one of the things that we did during the shutdown was sell Easter baskets for adults. And <laughs> it was, that was a huge, you know, some of our bigger Easter L- baskets. A lot of had. hoppy beers. A lot of hoppy beers. <laughs> exactly. A lot of hoppy beers. Beer um, all week. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was, that was one of the the selling points of some of our, of our baskets on the, on the bigger side and people loved it. And it, they really haven't started to come back in to renew those until now, which, um, because I of yeah, well, uh, timing wise, but also yeah, I think people were waiting because to come back out. But I also think that people were waiting because they were worried that a lot of places, you know, there was a I noticed someone had mentioned on on Facebook one day that, hey, can we start redeeming those gift cards that we bought for people, you know, at different restaurants and places now, so that you know, and I, I hadn't really thought about you know we haven't seen a ton of those coming back in, but in the last couple of weeks they've been coming back in to redeem them. So, and have you seen new orders come in as well? Are people trying to? take advantage of this during COVID? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, what are you hearing is the appeal from the consumers? I think that our consumers, um, they really like the idea of the Crowler club um, and they like them more for gifts for people or say, Hey, you know what? I want to buy this for myself and I want to try, you know, beer X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I know you've got something different coming out every month and I could just do this all the time. And some people use it as a way to say, I'm only going to have, I'm only going to take one beer home this month. I'm only going to, or I'm only going to, I'm going to come in and have my beers here and, and enjoy it here. Uh, and then we'll take one home with me. I mean, we always take beer home ourselves, sure. but, <laughs> but I think it's been kind of interesting to see how people have utilized just the crowler in general. Um, we use it a lot with our anniversary. It was also our six year anniversary in the middle of the shutdown and I couldn't even, I couldn't even estimate the number of crawlers that we went through. We had just ordered two pallets before the shutdown. I'm not sure if you're aware there's a, there's issues with aluminum. I want, I wanted to ask you about that as well of, you know, when you have a business that's based on, you know, aluminum and crawlers and supply and so many other breweries have pushed into this area as well, you know, what the future looks like. But Um, that was, that was kind of a scary thing because, we had we had just ordered two pallets of crawlers, which is about twenty four hundred crawlers, um, and all of a sudden people were saying, you know, I can't get crawlers anymore. I can't find them. My distributor says that they're not available. You know, who's everybody using? 
and we got a little nervous because we knew what we were going through over those that first half of the shutdown and we ordered our second set of two pallets worth um a little bit earlier because we were worried that at some point you know as soon as we found out they were available we were we were worried that people were going to uh, maybe run out and there was going to be another shortage, which for us, if, if the shutdown lasted until July, we would have definitely run out of crawlers if we hadn't ordered them early. Yeah. As it stands now, we're, we went through probably three pallets of crawlers during the shutdown. Okay. I mean, that's, that's or maybe maybe less. I know they move them around and I, I know I just keep track of what what else needs to be ordered or how many, do we need the new label on the crawler yet? Or how how far out are you thinking about orders now versus when you used to or pre, you know pre COVID? Um, twenty twenty one. Okay. We we have been our discussions lately have been on what are we planning to do for fall, what are we planning to do for winter, and what's going to happen in January February March of twenty twenty one. If if you're not looking ahead, especially with with this looming overhead of us, you know you're already falling behind to be honest yeah it's um if 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 the social distancing restrictions are still in place in november and december and january and february you know we have two outdoor patios which is wonderful for us you know for summer and fall but in the winter time it's not you know it's not a great place when to go sit outside in the snow and to enjoy a craft beer. So we're looking ahead at what kind of changes do we have to make? And we do have some, some bigger things in play already. Um, we do have a canning line that we're looking at purchasing. Um, what keeps you if, up at night with worry? If anything. Oh goodness. Uh, probably that, that, Oh goodness, there's so many things. <laughs> I well, think we would say I'm probably the one in the building that, that has the most um most anxiety over some of the issues. Well, I wouldn't say I'm the only one. I'm definitely not the only one, but I'm one that has different anxiety issues. I think for me, if one of our employees came down with COVID or had been exposed to something and it made them sick, yeah. that's my biggest fear right now with, with being reopened. Um what gives you hope right now? Oh my gosh. I just think the people that come in our door every day, the people that order on the phone, the ones that are still using our, our vulnerable hours that we have available for people, the, the craft beer community, the Ohio Craft Brewers Association. I mean, I just think there's, you know, our community, our, our craft beer community has been just amazing. Nothing short of amazing in supporting each other and, and, supporting other breweries i mean we've we have been a pretty big um pre, I, I would say that we have been just really overwhelmed by just how how concerned people are mm-hmm. and how much they want to do to help we we have people that come in every day how are you guys doing this week what's it looking like for fall you know is everybody is everybody still healthy are you guys good do you need anything i mean we had we had people that came in and gave us gifts on a weekly basis we had customers who would bring us we had one customer who brought us homemade bread two to three times a week that's great for the staff that was when that for our essential employees during the shutdown period i had um someone who brought when we opened up the online ordering uh, for Easter baskets, I had someone who came in and gave me a just a beautiful 
a clipboard, a handmade clipboard, um, and just said, hey, this is for you to keep track of your orders on for, for the Easter baskets. Just the, the amount of support and appreciation that people have shown us for, for trying to stay open and trying to, to, you know, just kind of make it through the hurdles. It's been, we get missed yet a lot. <laughs> It's uh, for good reasons. I think that's a it's it's a great reminder that if you're good to people, people will be good to you. Thanks again for Let being on know. the show. Thank you so much, John. Thanks again to this episode sponsor, with superior engineering and unrivaled service. Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. Visit BlickmanPro.com. For many small breweries that relied on their tap rooms for the majority of their revenue, these last four months have been brutal. While most have a small two or four can head filler, or maybe a crowler machine, the thought for a small business of installing a canning line or even using a mobile canner had seemed impractical in the past. But these are not ordinary times, and for breweries that want to stay afloat and take advantage of curbside pickup and delivery models that are in place in different states, getting your beer into the proper packaging might be worth the investment. But before you start making calls to companies in your area, it's best to do a little internal soul searching. To help with a little guidance and perspective is Andrew Ferguson, a sales manager with Cody Design in Golden, Colorado, which offers mobile canning operations. He spoke to me from Colorado. What's it been like for you all these last couple of months? Well, initially, it's been really scary for us to hear all of the uh, troubles that some of our customers are having. But we fortunately have gotten a lot of growth out of this uh, opportunity for the need for packaging. And, you know, it's a good opportunity for us to support the economy, pay taxes, hire people and keep our entire staff employed and healthy during all this time. There's been... I, I think a shift in the way that brewers are thinking about how they're going to be able to continue to do business going forward and cans seem like a good option. You know, if it's, if it's curbside pickup, if it's delivery, uh, a lot of these small breweries that just had tap room only, or maybe was doing, you know, small growler sales or doing a small canning run, run themselves. Um, I'm sure you're getting a lot of inbound calls from brewers in your region who are saying, okay, you know, I, I, I want to do this. Like I need to can, I need to, 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 to stay afloat. Um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of conversations that you have to have before the paperwork is signed from, from your perspective, as a brewer starts thinking about using a mobile canner, what questions do you advise that they should be thinking about themselves before they even pick up the phone to call you? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things is about the timeline and timetable of using a mobile canner. They are scheduled weeks out in advance. And so for a brewery to plan to have the product in the proper conditions and hit the date that the mobile canner needs and have all the stars aligned to have a great run is challenging the first couple times you do it. Because if you were to miss that date or your glycol runs out or something happens, it creates a circumstance where the product is not in the right condition, they, you might not be able to get on that list for a couple of weeks after that. So the timeline and getting your staff on board with uh, getting your product in the right conditions is probably one of the biggest things to factor at the beginning of the process. What else? 
Well, the other thing is, you know, the difference between having your own equipment is the upfront capital that's needed versus the, you know, smaller incremental cost to a mobile canner. And a lot of that can get offset these days with really good financing programs and smaller minimum order quantities from the can manufacturers. But one of the big things that I always like to talk to people about when they're thinking about mobile canner is know that the incentive of the mobile canner is to empty your tank as fast as possible and get to their next account. (laughs) And the producer of the liquid, hopefully, they want to get the best liquid possible to their consumers to best represent all the hard work they put into it. Mm-hmm. So the the owner of the brewery, cider, kombucha, whatever it is, they're going to be really focused on low dissolved oxygen rates and really good fill levels. But sometimes the mobile canner might be trying to empty the tank as fast as possible and aren't as concerned about the DO levels and the low fill. So that starts with a very early conversation with a potential mobile canner to know how they pay their staff, how they incentivize their staff, and how you can maximize the usage of the machine to create the best sellable package for your product. And and that was, I think, in some of the early days of mobile canning, that, that was a, a, a big red flag for a lot of folks where, you know, beer that might taste great in the tap room was going into to, to cans. Um, you know, the DO wasn't wasn't where it was supposed to be. You know, people were getting low fill cans, um, you know, and, and I think it took a little time for your entire industry to sort of like rebound from some of that. Um, and now and now it's obviously going going gangbusters. But um Talk us through the equipment a little bit. Like what when you show up in an account, um, what are you bringing? How how does it look? And 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 how what are what are you all doing with with your staff to ensure that you're running as you know, clean and professional and I, I guess you know top of the line line uh, that you are. So one of the things that we do before we show up the first day is we like to show up to the customer in advance. And we want to make sure that all the facilities and equipment are in place so that our filler and other equipment that we bring are going to operate effectively. And that includes the type of electrical supply that you have, whether you have an air compressor, uh, what size tanks you're pulling from, what is the product temperature in the tank, what are the CO2 volumes, all the variables that we can control, we want to communicate that as early as possible so that when we show up, we can turn it on as quick as possible and start filling. Um, One of the things that is a challenge for a lot of people that are not in packaging is that they probably do not have an air compressor. And to run a commercial professional grade filling machine, an air compressor is not something you could buy at Home Depot. It's a large industrial compressor. So you have to find out whether your mobile canner actually can provide that or it's something that you might have to purchase in advance. We've been hearing a lot about can shortages right now, um, and and that that's starting to become a a, a, a worry for folks. Um, it does seem that mobile canners, though, uh, and folks in, in in your line of work uh, have a pretty good line on you know, making sure that you have enough supply. That is correct. I mean, the reality is that there's always scary news about can supply. I've been in the canning business for about 10 years, and I can tell you now that it's probably easier to get cans before COVID than it was 10 years ago. 
COVID definitely threw some loops into all of this, mainly because everyone is trying to buy the same supply of cans. But companies like Ball Corporation are responding by building new plants. And one of the biggest changes in just the past five years is what I call small-run can supply companies, okay. which will buy the full quantity of cans direct from Ball, Crown, Rexam, or Arbao, and then they will uh, put the pallet of cans to a depalletizer. It'll go through a shrink sleeve machine and get repalletized so that you can purchase just one pallet per SKU already designed with your logos on them. And often the mobile canner companies will be able to help you with that supply chain as well. Interesting. So this world has evolved, or this part of the industry, I guess I should say, has evolved rapidly uh, within the last decade or so. What's the future for mobile canning? What what are some of the benefits or what are some of the, I guess, um, uh, improvements um, or exciting things that customers should be on the lookout for um, when it does come to, to, to mobile canning. Are there cool things on the horizon? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of cool things on the horizon. I mean, first off, we're seeing mobile canning grow outside of America and really get saturated in South America and Europe and Australia and everywhere else. We're seeing the emphasis go away from just the speed of the filler and back towards quality. And that's really started with the voice of the brewers uh, expressing their interest on quality over quantity at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, the capabilities of cans and the type of uh, variety of cans available and the adaptability of filling machines to utilize a number of different cans is only improving. One of the coolest things that we're really excited about is that in the near future, you're going to be able to digitally print direct on cans all of your graphics. Really? So moving away from the sticker labels and the shrink sleeves and not having to buy a truckload per SKU direct from the can manufacturer, there's going to be supply in the next year or two that you can get small run digitally printed cans of very high quality at a pretty good price point. I don't know. As you're saying that, I just keep thinking about that scene in Office Space where uh, the printer never works and they have to bring it out into the field and beat the hell out of it. But uh, uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit more more dialed in than that. Um, I I think that this printer is going to cost enough money that if anyone did that to the printer, they'd be in a lot of trouble in their office. <laughs> Dan, if um, you know, is, is there anything else that, that you think people should be thinking about uh, before they jump into mobile canning? Um, honest and clear communication with the potential mobile canner supplier about your CO2 volumes and temperature, what your setup looks like can alleviate a lot of potential problems when it comes to that day and really good communication about the timeline within your company to ensure that the product is in the right conditions based on the filler is going to put you in a pretty good position to succeed. And then always learn from the companies. You know, oftentimes they're going to bring in their operator. They're going to use the filler. But you need to think about the future of your business and potentially purchasing a filler in the future. So that's a great opportunity to kind of test drive a car and to learn the uh, tips and tricks and how to dial it in a little bit better and or how to change your recipes a little bit so that they're better equipped for packaging in the future. Andrew Ferguson is a sales manager for Cody Manufacturing, which is online at Cody MFG. That's C O D I M F G dot com. 
Andrew, thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Before we go, I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great homebrewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of each month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. Our thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1 to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. And also, join us on November 6 and 7 for NanoCon Online. COVID might keep us from being in San Diego, but our new interactive online format will feature the opportunity to get questions answered from craft brewing experts in real time and learn from each other about what is working and what isn't. You'll also gain full access to video recordings of our 30-plus seminars and roundtable discussions on both the business and brewing side of running a small-scale brewery. With so many fundamental changes this year, it is more important than ever to invest in a better understanding the new brewing business landscape and how to best rebuild or launch your small brewery. Don't miss learning from craft brewing industry experts without even leaving your own home or brewery with live online sessions covering sales and marketing, brewing operations, business operations, and startups. Plus, when you register now, you'll save $100 and pay just $199. For full event details, check out nanocon.beer. I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer, and I hope you'll tune into those. Thanks to Scott McCampbell for supplying the music for the show. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all your nano brewing needs. For now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. Brew day.